0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the Saturday Morning Show. Good morning, Jim. How are you? Good morning. I I could just say it could be
1: good evening somewhere else in Australia.
0: I know, I know. But obviously, it's Saturday Morning here. Um, Today, we are covering renting to sharers and more importantly, how to prepare your property and get the legals right. That's a really important thing as well.
1: Just to say renting to sharers is an area which I've been very, very nervous about for years and years and years. I don't, I'm i not particularly keen on renting to sharers mm-hmm. because the difficulty of renting to sharers for me, and I've tried to prove this model every single time, probably about three or four times to actually convince myself that it's maybe just that one-off occasion, uh, it works like this, or it's not turned out the right way, um, to convince myself to keep renting to sharers. But the problem is, if you, when, for me, just personally, this is just my personal thoughts and it's happened yeah, over yeah. the years, is when you put two people sharing together it really don't know each other that well or could not know each other that well when they move in and they have single rooms together and they share a house their dynamic changes of the relationship even yeah. though they were best pals outside of what they were doing their dynamic changes and they start to fall follow each other because they can't live with each other's idiosyncrasies in the habits yeah and, exactly. and then one moves out and you're left with one only and it, it's very difficult to then fill that other that other bedroom in that property um in order to in order to appease the other person that's there so it's like Daniel did this hassle. Yeah,
0: there's an example that I was going to actually bring up with you, Jim, that you're experiencing at the moment, and we could talk Perfect. about Can that. Perfect, we will talk about yeah. that. And so, I let's, let's, that.
1: let's go on right as usual for everybody Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter. We're streaming live on all these channels right yep. now. And um, if you want to ask any questions, please feel free. If you want to make any comments, please feel free to make any comment. Clearly, please it's obviously do. got to do with renting. It's like, no, I've got a spot on my face and all the rest of it. <laughs> So uh, you know it's it's got to be completely relevant, and we can, we'll, we'll we'll answer questions at the end if we can. Uh, we'll definitely answer questions at the end. So hang hang tight, uh, hang on to yourself, and uh, and we'll go over this uh, again. I must express this is based on uh, my thirty years in this market as a property investor, um, and as an advisor uh, to the National Landlord Association at one point in time for Scotland, uh, for about five six seven years possibly sitting on the council housing partnership um for fife council um, and discussing and representing private landlords at strategic housing policy level for about 10 years um local founder and member originator in 1999 of the fife landlords association which later became the nla which actually is part of um really just part of sal now and i'm a big fan of joining sal and it's all about Safety in numbers, and we need to represent ourselves and have a body to represent ourselves. So, the Scottish Association of Landlords is probably the best thing you could join right now to show your strength and your voice and unity for landlords uh, uh, all over Scotland. And if you're not in that, it's it's a it's crazy because the 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 legislation that's coming through right now and the draconian attitude and the vilifying of private landlords is completely unacceptable. Um, and this this seems to be this seems to almost be a, 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 a national pastime and a national sport for some people now especially Patrick Harvey he'll love the fact that I've called him out on this it's like you'll revel in that it's like he's a narcissist it's like oh <laughs> you'll get a real good thrill out of that <laughs> I was I, I put someone at April Fool this morning saying Patrick Harvey thanked us for all the rest of it and everything but to be honest Patrick Harvey could be a fool every single day it doesn't need to be the first of April
0: it doesn't just need to be today no
1: the the, the guy is going to <laughs> preside and and exacerbate the biggest homelessness problem in scotland ever this will be ever this will be his yeah. this will be his um his uh, nice. calling uh, you know curtain call and the fact that he will go eventually at some point in time but when he goes he will be presiding over the highest homelessness rate in scotland and don't think for one minute patrick harvey if you think you've kept that lower than it should have been you've made it worse by what you're doing right now and vilifying landlords they're leaving the sector yeah we see it more and more every day okay let's let's crack on with this show then let's get yes. some optimism here yes okay <laughs> There's hope <for> us yet.
0: <laughs> so yeah <laughs> uh, uh, rent to shares is the topic for today we will cover a lot more involved in that though Now, if you're a landlord or investor or somebody involved in the private sector, you'll be aware that demand for rental homes has risen by around about 25% um, in 2022, and competition among tenants is hotter than ever, and it still remains that way, uh, as potential buyers wait and see what house prices will do. Now, as rents continue to rise um, from a shortage of property, more and more young professional adults are looking to share rental homes. And in Fife, um, that is still the, that is the case as well, and this is an order for them to save on costs uh, without living in tiny spaces. So if there's, yeah, if there's more yeah. of them in one big space and they could split it between them, then that makes sense to them, obviously, from an affordability, affordability point of view. Renting your property sharers can increase your yield and having income earning tenants in every bedroom. But yeah, there yeah. are a few things you need to get a handle on first before you consider, obviously... Oh, the, I can cover this if it. you want. So setting yes, up the yeah. tenancy
1: agreement correctly is obviously key here. Yeah. You have to understand how the dynamics work and how the legalities work out of that as well. Um, understanding when a shared home becomes an HMO. This is quite important. You know, there's a, there's a people still out there that have no idea about the, the house and multiple op- occupation, the HMO legislation and mm-hmm. how it applies and what is the, the minimum you know, amount. It, often I've see, I've, I have seen it in the past where there's a lot of workers in one house and none of them are related and there's there's more than the, the applied amount. So they are actually breaking the law technically mm-hmm. um, and they should, they, should, they should be brought up about it. But nobody's going to catch them. Nobody's going to find out about them. It's quite hard to <laughs> police it. Who's going to be policing it? You know, it's supposed to be trading standards. And it's like, trading standards have got a hard enough job trying to police kebab shops, never mind anything else. Yeah, yeah you're right. Um, and the same with the EPC legislation. There's trading standards as well. It's like, my God, how many people... I mean, trade, I, I bet you have looked at the employment at trading standards right now and every single local authority. It's probably never increased in all that legislation that's been put on top of what they've got there out. Or, or they've probably decreased their workforce. So yeah. it, it probably speaks volumes about the fact that nobody's going to do this. And the only people are getting castigated for this are the honest landlords and investors. Um, Having the right specification and accommodation is clear as well. Um, Managing a property with multiple tenants is quite an important subject we'll be going over. Um, And also replacing a sharer if one moves out. This is the one I was talking about earlier on. With that in mind, this is what this week is all about. So, with no further ado there, Richard, you kick off with the first one, setting up a tenancy agreement correctly. How do we go about doing this?
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the most important points um, and people that, something that people just overlook and it's, it's very important. And when you rent to sharers, you create a joint tenancy agreement that includes everyone who will be living in the property, now, whether that's two occupants uh, upwards. Um, the contract can be altered whenever one of the sharers is replaced. And mm-hmm. uh, more, uh, mo- we'll cover more on that a wee bit later. And following the process will help you ensure that you have the best tenants living in the property. Now, firstly, each sharer should be thoroughly referenced and credit-worthy. That's a given, I think, if you if you know what you're doing, you know that well, that's
1: Well, <laughs> you let if me If you know say what you're yeah. I was wait, I say, you say that's a given, and we almost come on for these shows now and have an expectation Exception. that everybody understands what we are talking about. Yeah. But the reality is, it's not a given. You'd be amazed at the amount of people out there that still don't reference their tenants correctly in terms of creditworthiness, in terms of seeking something for a previous employer or a current employer about a reference from them as well, about even verifying their earnings. And and, and their, especially, especially in England, in London in particular, their ID... And, and where they've stayed previously because because you have seen it before where people have mm-hmm. actually, you know, they're not the people that actually are renting the property. They end it's up someone they, else. It's
0: one that's overlooked is that their actual ID to actually confirm they are who they say they are. And yeah. you'd be surprised the amount of people who have applied for things do, and do they know, are who they say they are. Do you know what
1: I've heard in the past dear? This is the argument in the past where some people, and this is what landlords have to understand, mm-hmm. and even letting agents have to understand as well. They have this sort of—I wouldn't say it's—it's—I wouldn't say it's, it's, it's walk. I'm not really sure if that applies to you, but it's—it's kind of halfway bit to okay. to be in to attitude, as if to say, "I can't ask them about their earnings. I can't ask them about their, you know, their previous uh, things. And they get very, very nervous. Landlords, you know, inexperienced landlords get very nervous. I can't ask them. And it's like, hold it! You're about to give them one of your biggest assets yeah, to live in for a deposit of the of one month's rent, and and you're saying it, you you don't you you feel a bit uncomfortable referencing them properly and mm-hmm. and making sure they're actually in a position to actually do nothing and they are who they are and they they are earning what they said they were earning. You're afraid of doing that in case you upset them. I, I wouldn't be giving anybody a fifty hundred thousand one you know hundred fifty thousand two hundred thousand pound home to rent or or more if I wasn't referencing them properly. What happens if it all goes wrong?
0: And you and you could have picked up on the referencing stage. Do you know on the flip side of that as well, even when you do ask for um this evidence and, and and obviously background on the tenant, sometimes tenants turn back like, You can't ask me that. You you don't you don't need to have that information and it's like, Yes I do. Yes, I do. Uh, I, yeah. And you're, you're, getting my, you're getting my property.
1: It's like, there's no way you're getting in this house if you're not going to be, because then you immediately show at the very beginning, you're a problematic tenant. Mm-hmm. And it's like, who wants that? Who wants to deal with somebody who's difficult on every single occasion about everything? And what's going to happen when you get to doing, trying to get into the repairs and improvements for the property? You know, everybody thinks, that, oh yeah, obviously everybody will let them in for repairs and improvement. You wouldn't believe the amount of tenants out there, it won't let us in for repairs and improvements, because it's infringing their privacy. You're having a <laughs> laugh. We're trying to give you a new kitchen, we're trying to put a new heating system in, we're trying to rectify a problem that you've you've highlighted, and you're making it difficult for us to get access to sort it in our contractor. Oh,
0: believe. If you're coming up against things like that at the at the beginning and the and the early stages, it does set the tone for how the tenancy is going to run. If that's what kind of um, obstacles you've got, even at the, the the referencing process, so look out for those kind of red flags definitely. Yeah. Also yeah. ensuring that your tenancy agreement makes the sharers jointly and servably liable for the rent, the bills, any damages if one tenant doesn't pay you need to make sure that the other pay, the other tenant's going to cover that cost and make up the shortfall as well that's a great, that's
1: a great point often yeah. often, you know some people inexperienced will set up tenancies like that and and they will they don't realize that they're actually given you know they're they're they're, they're not actually having them the tenants joint and several reliable therefore mm-hmm. if one walks away the other one isn't responsible for the additional rent top up and they're left carrying the can for it so that has to be that has to be like that in the beginning where. The, If one tenant in their own right will be liable for the whole lot, it then makes it easy for them, it makes it more easier for them or you to get them to accept another tenant in the property. Because if they're not liable for anything of the, the extra, it was when the tenant moves out, it's sitting there. If they're not liable for any of that, any of these costs, it's like, why would they want anybody else to move in?
0: Yeah yeah and then that's that's something that i'm sure if people have been renting to sharers now they've probably come up a bit up against that because things have maybe not been set up correctly so that is a really important one and before they uh, any tenants move in each sharer must pay the first month's rent and their share of the security deposit as well then sign the agreement and the detailed inventory as well is really important yeah yeah so and i think don't skimp on any of this Though referencing as your best safeguard for accepting only the best tenants, a security deposit is is, is essential in case of any damages and things. You'll also never uh, win a dispute over any condition and things uh, and damages and properties without a signed and dated inventory. Now when I say dated, ideally the day before or two days prior. Yeah, It's usually what we we have an independent third-party contractor who does our inventories. He's usually in there two days the day prior. And if, if title uh, schedules are tight, you might even do it on the morning of the move-in, but it needs yeah, to be yeah, as yeah. close to that date as possible. You can't have one maybe two weeks prior, because anything can happen in that point, uh, that 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 period, that two week period. And the deposit scheme will back up on that, and they'll they'll use that as um, a, a reason to maybe doubt your claim at the end if you're making one. So these are all important yeah. points uh, to remember.
1: I tell you what, a about, like, I, I know. Um, Pretty Pink Tattoo on TikTok. Thanks very much for your comment. I will mention this. They say, actually, usually it's the people that are unhygienic or even messy that don't let owners in the property.
0: That is, a, there's, there's a big element of truth in that because they try and hide how they're living because they know it's going to be picked up. Yeah. So that's actually quite a valid point. Quite a valid point. And then and then,
1: kind of, you then have to think to yourself, alarm bells. It's like what's going on here? Uh, I, then you just what if if you can't get the first appointment, Richard, um to having uh, to doing that inspection? How should you go about getting the next appointment and then booking it if they've cancelled the first one?
0: Yeah. Now, cancelling inspections is something that's all too common. We do come across it quite a lot. Yeah. Now, nine times out of ten, sometimes people their 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 schedules change. There's a, there's yeah. a reason behind it, and that's fine. And we'll reschedule. If we reschedule again and the same thing happens, then we need to really then have the conversation about why we're needing into the property and the fact that it's written into the tenancy agreement. Make them aware that this is part of the process. We yeah, don't yeah. we don't just turn up on doorsteps and want access. It's done properly. You get plenty of notice. It's and and it's not a big invasive inspection. We just need in every room a quick look, check the garden, look around the perimeter, just so that we could put a report together and give the landlord a. a basically a snapshot of what the property is like and make any recommendations and take the tenant's comments as well Mm -hmm. if we get to the point where we're not getting through the door it needs to then become a more formal process in terms of we will write to the tenant and and say like we we will be coming on X, x date time whatever and if it gets to the point we can I mean, in terms of obviously emergency situations, we can then obviously advise them that we'll be using key access and things. But you need to do that properly. You can't just turn up with a key and let yourself into a property as the tenant's home and they are legally yeah. the, mm-hmm. the rightful owner um, um, occupant of that property. Right, so that would be contributing Yes, definitely. Yeah. So, and if you're not sure about how to do that, speak to somebody who knows what they're doing. And if you've got an agent um, or, or ourselves, obviously, speak to us yeah. and, and yeah. get the right advice on how to carry that out proper, properly. Mm-hmm okay good all right the next one jim is i think a really important thing and people overlook it like you say people maybe bus landlords who are maybe an experience busing people in have three four occupants in a property and really mm-hmm. that becomes mm-hmm. an hmo and do okay. you know i mean you need to know when does sharing a home become an hmo now hmo's house multiple occupancy and yep. many landlords uh, are still unclear when shared homes become a house of multiple occupancy. But knowing the difference and your legal obligations is absolutely essential. Um, So let's cover some of the things that that includes.
1: Can I cover cover first of all to everybody out there what what an HMO looks like? Yes. So an HMO is basically where everybody's got their own self-contained room, their bedroom, and it's it's possibly more than likely it's lockable. Um, And some of the HMOs have their own ensuite shower room, or they have a shared facility shower room that everybody shares, um, and and you share the kitchen facilities and usually the lounge facilities as well. But some people have bed sets set up where they've got a they've got a big enough room so they've got a shower an ensuite shower room. They've maybe got a seating area in one corner and then they've got their bed in another corner or some sort of uh, shape like that, and they've got their own self contained area, but they've also got common areas as well. That's what an HMO primarily consists of. Classic example to that: a student accommodation. Um, and technically if you wanted to really say it um, you know if if it would be it would be kind of like a bed and breakfast setup if that makes sense I mean no I know bed and breakfast comes under different legislation because yeah. um, it's short-term lets and it's only for a short period of time but if it was a long-term thing then technically it could be classified as an HMO property but bed and breakfast properties usually fall in line with the same rules as HMO in terms of fire and safety regulations
0: I was just going to say, you've got different fire uh, regulations and things, extinguishers, and, and do you know what I mean? And then the common areas, like you say, I've also seen setups like, like you say, the room and it's got a shower cubicle or a wash hand basin, a desk in one corner, and just things yeah, like that. Yeah.
1: So, what, to you, in your mind, what is? Well, no, in your mind, and your, and you know, what you know of, um, what, what classifies it as an HMO then?
0: A rental property is classified as an HMO as soon as there are three or more unrelated adults that live in the mm-hmm. property. But that doesn't automatically mean that you need a license. Yeah. Okay. If it falls into that category when, you, when you're in that situation. With five or more unrelated adults in a home with two or more stories to the building, you will need an HMO license from your local authority. Yeah. Okay. And once you get above six occupants, you'll also need planning permission and may have to install fire doors uh, and the lobbies and like, obviously the fire, the fire uh, leg- uh, legislation that covers the communal areas and things. Yeah, as well, yeah, yeah. that's like fire blankets. No, fire this, is legislation,
1: legislation. this is legislation really in England, doesn't it? Um, but yeah. in Scotland, it's a wee bit different. Um, it's three or more unrelated occupants in a property, and, and that's a full stop. And that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah, I think that's the main thing to remember. The PRT in Scotland, you could have two occupant, two two people on the tenancy agreement, uh, up to two individuals. You can have one, two. Once you start to hit three, you can't have three individuals listed as set, tenants on the tenancy and appear yeah, yeah, on a PRT yeah. in Scotland. Now, um, to come to the unrelated yeah. as well, um, yeah. when we look
1: at unrelated, um, it means if a brother and sister are actually sharing, if they've got an H, if they've got a room each in a house, and you've got another person who's unrelated to them, that's still okay to rent, isn't it? Because yes. brother and sister are related, so that's classified as one unit. Yes. And then the other person's one unit, so there. It's only you're only really renting to two people as such. So mm-hmm. that even though there's three people in that property, you you can you still don't need an HMO license. It's when the three or more people are completely unrelated to each other. Does it go as far as cousins, or is that
0: stretching it? Um, do you know? I'm I'm not quite sure. I'd have to check on that. Yeah, but I, w- I would say it's stretching. I would say first. I would say it's stretching it, but then first cousins they are directly related and um, yeah, yeah that, they, that, they've
1: never lived with each other and they've never been in the same house they've never grown up together so i think that's what the legislation was doing it is something yeah we could clarify in another show later on i, would have um, to, yeah. I, I definitely think because it's it's just it's just things i'm thinking through i think mm-hmm. everybody else would be wondering as well to get to get it down to to, to a fine art about what, what does a shared home, when does a shared home become an HMO? Um, classic examples, as I said, builders as well, you know, when they go to do contracts and they don't go to do jobs. Um, also, when you have um, workers that come over from, you know, overseas to come and mm-hmm. work in the fields and that, you know, often what will happen, and I know it does, because yeah. we've had it before as well, is one of them will come along and rent the property, and the next minute you go for an inspection, and there's the a lot on the floor, <laughs> and it's like, whoa, wait a minute, you were told clearly that this isn't the case. So that's where we have to put our foot down and make sure yeah. that is. That's why it's important to do inspections at, um, at regular period, periodic yes. uh, times, in order to make sure that doesn't happen. And keep in mind the tenant you're actually renting to to basically uh, read them the right act before they start that journey, so they don't do that. Now you're not trying to make more money out of them. What you're trying, and you're not upset about the fact because I, 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 I remember uh, you know a landlord came back to me one time and says oh there's a lot more property than people on that property than I thought. Maybe I could get more rent out of them. I'm like, whoa whoa wait a minute. It's like no. <laughs> That's the first it's thing I've like been thinking you think you rent the property at five hundred quid a month just because there's more people than you thought that was going to be in the property and in their family, it doesn't mean to say you should be charging them more money because there's more people in their family. It's like, that's that's a bit prejudiced, is it? No, it's like, because you've got more children or something like that. You've got to get charged more money. No, it's the property you're actually renting. So I, I put a stop to that straight away. But often that's, what, that's you know, not often, no, few and far between, you know, that's what a, a few and far between a landlord will do sometimes, but that's that's what you shouldn't be doing. Um, because you're renting the property to them um, but the flip side of that is the reason that you're actually saying that there shouldn't be a lot of people in that house especially if they're unrelated is because there's more chance according to the uh, according to psychology and you know the research has been done there's more chance of something happening accidentally because the people are unrelated than they are when they're related
0: yeah
1: because they, because when you're related you've got that symbiotic relationship about you know you you work together you know common purpose you you do everything together as well in order to pull together as a team you know to to, for the for the benefit of running the household where you're single people on the road on your own you tend to just isolate yourself and you do your own thing and it's a it's a it's a higher risk of anything happening like you know fire safety um, mm-hmm. uh, any health and safety issues as well you know all these different things become higher risk as more people unrelated live in a property hence the reason why HMO is quite important and then the legislation that comes along with it for health and safety and and safety
0: yeah it is important to remember like you say Jim between England and Scotland things vary and even even between different council um obviously councils and things they vary as well so bear in mind that some councils have selected uh, license policies to prevent family homes from becoming turned into HMOs, so check mm-hmm. whether your property is affected before doing anything, and that's this just is, a, this,
1: a, is um, uh, this is this uh, probably the, the 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 most obvious example. To us is St Andrews? Yes. You know the fact that there's certain areas now that are coming up for certain houses are coming up for HMO renewal, the license for it, and um, and it's been clearly spelled out by the powers that be and the St Andrews Council that they they don't foresee them actually looking to renew these licenses because mm-hmm. of the the effect it has in 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 what would normally be a, a normal family street um of having student accommodation potential in there. Yeah. And before yeah. the students get their pitchforks out and their <laughs> their torches, it's like, let's be honest, I was a student at one point as well. <laughs> I know what it was like for other people. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, you know y- 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 it does have an impact on people surrounding you. Um, you know, for some students, hence the reason why you do get a lot of people um, renting to mature students. You know, in and they're, and they're, and they're, they're, um, their in their in their PhD years. You know, when they when they come into their fourth year and their fifth year, and they want to stay on to do a you know a, a PhD or a masters, uh, they'll rent to them specifically, um, and they'll rent to two of them. <clears throat>
0: Yeah, we, we've it, got. We're the
1: have yeah. no, no interested in getting a younger generation student in because the you know the, there's the there's the the so-called um, we're going to university to have an ex, a life experience thing that comes yeah. with it, and that's what that's what some investors and landlords are nervous about I about, about getting idea. involved in that market.
0: Yeah, ourselves we don't deal in HMOs, but we do let it to a lot of students, and and obviously it's done correctly. A lot of mature students and things, and it works fine. Like you say, Jim, there is there is a slightly less element of um things attached to renting to that type of student as opposed to like you say the people yeah. that are there for maybe the, the student life experience. Yeah. But anyway, back to what we, we covered just slightly on specification um of accommodation and things when you've got sharers. So, With well, multiple. What kind of specification should you have then when you're
1: in accommodation for sharers? You know, what should, how should how should that go and how should that look?
0: Well, when multiple um, adults share a home, the specification needs to be up to, uh, really up to task. Mm-hmm. Picking the cheapest option is always a false economy, and we've covered that numerous times. So, we'll prioritise uh, years of r- relatable services to minimise the the time and the hassle of repairs. Think about, yeah. think, think ahead, and think: Is this going to last the test of times? Am I going to have a hassle to repair and fix this? Consider. Um, some of the things that we're going to cover in uh, uh, just in the next couple of minutes, which um, are things that you need to think about. And most adults, if you're letting to multiple adults, most adults will uh, want a bedroom with at least enough space, maybe somewhere around about a um, hundred and forty uh, wide double bedroom at least, one hundred and forty centimeters. I mean, obviously, with a wardrobe and maybe a chest of drawers, somewhere just for storage, obviously furnishings. And this means the room is no more than uh, hundred Maybe 100, no 100 no smaller rate. than 1 square metres, really, yeah. Yeah, 11 square metres, yeah. Well, 110 yeah. And, square metres, yeah. there's no much when you think about it, because if you
1: look at uh, 3 metres by 4 metres, that's 12. So, you know, no smaller than that, and that's an adequate room in terms of for... yeah uh, that's space. not a
0: large double bedroom, but it's a double bedroom.
1: No, however you could get a desk in there you could yeah. get a tall boy in there you usually have typically most bedrooms have built-in wardrobes yeah Um. so that, that's taken care of as well and then you've got a double space for a double bed and you've got space to work at as well uh, and then you know a typical example if you want if you want a you've got your communal lounge or sitting room you've also got your, your more than likely you probably have a dining kitchen as well which yeah. will which will benefit the the, the community at large but I think most people just keep themselves to themselves and go out during the evening, especially with their students. You know, that's the they just go and they, they tend to go and visit each other um, in their own and other other um, accommodation. So it's 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 used as more as more as more transient, uh, if that makes sense, rather than actually people that are in the city and they're maybe working in the financial institutions because this is what happens in Edinburgh, and they they're maybe sharing with someone else because the rent is so high. Uh, they mm-hmm. can't afford to continue to work. I mean, I can never understand when I looked at all the uh, London jobs, when I was an accountant and I was looking at London jobs, how you were making the same amount of money up here in Scotland in Fife, there's you, and Fife than you were as an accountant in London. And it's like, and the costs are astronomical. And yeah. it's like, how on earth does anybody as an accountant in London, you know, just starting out or a trainee or maybe a financial controller, how are they able to survive on that, on that salary, almost a similar salary, salary you're getting in Scotland, mm-hmm. and yet your standard living, in terms of the cost, is so much high, higher. Um, I, 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 I just could never work that out. But you could see the problems it causes right now. And I now know about it, about they've had to do subsidised housing, they've had to do a lot more shared equity housing in order to accommodate for that. And this is why the, the HMO rise in England, especially, with the bigger... Houses in the family street is actually now six bedrooms. I mean, Stephen Brown, um, uh, the one of the big, biggest property trainers in Britain. Um, I was down visiting Stephen, and right across the road, somebody had actually bought a house similar to his. And they were basically subdividing it into six units, yeah, you know, yeah. For, for HMO. Uh, and the council was granted the license. And I'm thinking, okay. Um, I suppose it's down to the landlord then to make sure they get the right people well fit in with that community. And uh, it's a residential area. Yeah, because the last thing you're going to put in a family a family street is a you know a bunch of students in the first year, um, mm-hmm. and it's like they just they just what party of the day, um, yeah. you know. So you've got to make sure you have the right fit for the right area um, in terms of what you're in, in terms of what you're doing.
0: Yeah, and like you say, if you've got that kind of set up, then you're going to have a shared kitchen area, shared communal areas. Mm. really important if you're gonna have multiple adults sharing a kitchen area, you're gonna need a large fridge freezer that's gonna have maybe separate shelves or enough room to have separate space for each each individual's um, foodstuffs and things. You're ideally maybe a full-size dishwasher. You're gonna have everybody lining up cleaning dishes or so a dishwasher, yeah. washing machine with a big drum, like you're talking at least eight, an eight kilogram drum, um, load capacity and also good durable brands. Don't just get cheap things. I mean, we've listed like, things like Bosch and Neff and things here, but Hotpoint and things are still really good brands to use um, rather than really the, cheap, the cheaper options, because they won't last, especially if they're being used continually by, by multiple adults in a, in a property. So if you're, if you're having that set up, really think about these kind of elements. The other uh, thing well,
1: I well, in student accommodation, you often see the fridge has actually got lockable sections.
0: Yes. So people
1: know. have actually got lockable units in the fridge. That's the type of student accommodation that they have. I remember seeing that at Stirling University, um, and I thought, oh, that's novel. But it's true, though, because everybody helps themselves to everybody else's food. Let's be honest. That's what happens. You know, I, I'll, I'll admit it now. Yes, I just helped myself to the decaf coffee in the Cooper office. The <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Perry. <laughs> I know she buys it. <laughs> but it's true. Yes. Yeah. It's just like, I can't be bothered going to the shop. I'm just going to help myself with their butter. And then that's where all the pettiness comes out as people start fighting over who's using my butter. And
0: And that will will, will happen, yeah, definitely. And also, if multiple adults are in a property, they're going to be using the washing facilities. So ideally, try and find a property or a place that has more than one additional shower and toilet to avoid... The bathroom battles, and it, that will happen in any property when you've got multiple individuals there. So if yeah, you've got yeah, yeah. if you've got more than one, it will alleviate that definitely.
1: Hmm.
0: Use stylish and durable finishes. Think um, engineered hardwood and tiles and floors and things that will stand the test of time. High quality washable paint on the walls. So to remove any inevitable scuffs and 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 the need to completely de- redecorate, you could maybe just wipe that down. You get a, a lot of these paints now that that are washable things. Now, now yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: It, it's kind of painting yeah. paint the picture is quite sterile, um. So so I would recommend that you you know you kind of probably put you know the one off the the plants in the corner or something like that, and bring a bit of sparkle in with just you know kind you kind just bring it up a couple of nice um uh, coloured cushions uh, in order to just in order to just make things pop a bit to make it a bit more a bit more friendly rather than that sterile look because you know. You, you could you could sterilize this to the to the help by putting you know I tell you what we'll just put vinyl silk paint on every single wall, yeah. <laughs> but it but it doesn't look great in a bedroom, and it's, it's just really one of the things you're going to have to wear, and it's and it's what you said before, Richard, is about maybe taking the time to spend a bit more money on the right stuff. It's more durable, and I mean, paint. It's got higher opacities, uh, Dulux Crown instead of buying the cheapest out of B&Q, it's just, it's just basically a watered-down version. Yeah. And it takes you six coats to get the same opacity and the same cover as what it takes you, maybe two coats from Crown. And, and so you're actually, it's a false economy because the, the labor that you're taking to do six coats or, or three coats or four coats, or double the amount of coats that the other ones would take is more expensive to you using your labor to do that than it is actually the price of the the, the, the paint itself so buy good durable paint buy good durable items in order to make sure they last long term it's an investment in your and it's an investment in your investment it, gardens as well is quite important because it yeah. should actually be as low maintenance as possible bricks using bricks and paving and decking uh, rather than actually lawns because that'll have to be constantly mowed all the time and um, maybe maybe things like uh, astroturf that's a that's a good just, one to put in place. Yeah,
0: a popular product. thing now,
1: yeah. Yeah, AstroTurf is a good one to give that impression of it alone, and there's really good quality AstroTurf out there now. They've got it down to a T. um, and it avoids things like weeding if you put proper membranes down in the first place. Uh, stone chips, right? Okay, there's stone chips, and then there's stone pebbles. Yeah. Pebbles look a lot better, don't they? Mm-hmm. And they're a lot. They they feel a lot better when you crunch. They're great. I mean, stone ch- stone chips are great for driveways. That's the typical you get out of the quarry yeah. at Balmobile. Um, But pebbles are, you know, they just give that better
0: feel. Mhm. And they look that bit better as well, and they're not they're not grossly more um, expensive than. than but normal. then it comes <laughs> back as well as making sure you ask your
1: agent if they've got maybe a gardener should be in, in, employed. employed, and I don't yeah. mean a gardener that's going to cost you an absolute fortune. I mean, somebody goes around every month in the summer or every quarter in the winter in the, the time in order just to make sure that the garden is paid it might just be an hour it might be two hours they're going to spend on it but it's well worth it for to maintain the upkeep and the look of the property because if it, it starts to come shabby from the outside it's no great for the neighbours
0: yeah you'll get a decent gardener that comes around in the summer months maybe every fortnight three weeks it's like you see an hour or so 30 quid, 40 quid maybe make service.
1: sure you include it in the rent though, yes. and make, make sure it's part of it, or you say, look, it's an additional cost you'll have to pay as part of factoring fees and build that into your lease, you've got a factor fee, um, so if they don't do it, then you've got somebody else to come and do it in the place and they're liable for that because it is part of their tenant duties under the conditions, under the under lease. Make sure there's enough cupboard space for things like food, vacuum cleaners, ironing boards, um, clothes dryers, Clothes airers are a good, really good one as well, because there's often their tendency to put everything on the on the radiators, which causes damp because yes. no
0: windows are open. Don't open the windows, put everything on the radiators,
1: the air, and then it goes right to the back of the units on the outside walls, like the bedside units, like the wardrobe, and then people pull them back. They're on the they're on the phone, they're on social media straight away going, My house is damp. And it's like, no, your house is poorly ventilated because you've no opened your windows and you've been drying everything on the radiators. That's why it's like that. Um, So make sure that you've got the adequate things for people. And also um, take a look at our blog on here. We've done another show and another podcast previously. I put put the link in the blog for us. Yeah, Attracting, attracting professional sharers. So the links in this actual post itself are doing that to appeal to high quality tenants. Yes. Um, managing joint tenancies is probably one that we need to consider next. So, yes. managing a joint tenancy with a sharer, how do we go about that, Richard?
0: Yeah. So, when you, when you're renting to a, a property sharers, life is much easier with an agreed system for communication and management, and from how rent gets paid, or to dealing with the the unexpected, which yeah. you will yeah. come up against. One tenant should be the nominated point of contact for things like booking the mid-tenancy inspections carrying out safety checks and arranging repairs and things always have contact details for for all the occupants i I think but have one main point of contact where you know you're going to get a response quite a lot you'll need to choose whether you accept multiple standing orders from each different tenant if they're paying um, their rent individually or each uh, share of their monthly rent is paid to one person and they pay it altogether. I mean
1: it's you kind it of uh, I'm a big fan of getting one person yes um to be responsible for that. So the one person becomes the lead tenant and therefore it's their responsibility because they're joint and severally liable remember yeah in other words if, if two don't pay the other one has to pay it and then make sure they've got garden tours as well. That's a really good point as well. Make sure they've got garden tours. You can go a cast iron you can go a cast iron garden tour it, it's it's got the money and it's got the um, it, it's got to pay these bills if they don't pay it.
0: Yeah, you'll find quite a lot if you've got students and things. You'll have their parents that are more than willing to sign as guarantor, and that's quite a good incentive and things that they'll vouch for that. And then any issues, you've got them to fall back on.
1: Well, the classic, oh. if you've got a sharer, and, or even a tenant in their own right, and the the closest, the nearest, and dearest doesn't want to be a guarantor. That's it a should red it it's a red flag alarm bell straight away you know i would my next question would be why do you think they wouldn't want to and then all of a sudden it pours out (laughs) from the tenant it's like well i had debt in the past and i racked up against them and all the rest And it's like all right okay so you expect me to take that risk now (laughs) but but that often does happen you often you often you often get that information out of someone quite easily without them without just asking a a few key questions again questions at most um most inexperienced landlords most inexperienced letting agents don't understand how to ask or or how to diplomatically ask for it um or are just they they're just naive, their naivety um even even suggests that they they won't they don't ask for it because they don't understand they should be asking these questions mm-hmm. you yeah. don't I, I guess it's the old expression about you don't know what you don't know and if you don't know what you don't know you don't know what to ask and that's frightening Especially Mm -hmm. a lot of letting agents can, you know, I know one has to be qualified, only this is the difficulty in the accreditation for Scotland. Mm -hmm. One letting agent, only one agent needs to be qualified to let well standard according to the government. So you could have a a, a letting agency with 20 people working in there and the lead person, for example, if it was me, I would be the only one qualified under let well regulations and they're allowed to act as a letting agent. None of the rest of them need to be trained to that standard. But that's okay, according to the government. And to yeah. me, that's that's not okay at all. There should be a certain amount. There should be at least one up to a certain number of employees in that company. And when you go beyond a certain amount of employees, there should be, there should be more Letwell qualified people. Uh, Letwell yeah. is the accreditation standard that the Scottish government says that they have to meet. And and it's run and looped by by Landlord Accreditation Scotland and, and the Chartered also, Institute of Housing. Also Chartered Institute of Housing, but also uh, backed by Sal, which is the Scottish Association yes. of Landlords. So that's a let bill accreditation. There is a property market quali- qualification as well, which is actually the current standard. But I do think if you've got a certain amount of employees in a letting agency um in the in that company, then there should be there should be more than one let well qualified person per number of people and i would suggest it should be three
0: well we currently have four um and we've got one in training now doing the yeah so so
1: we've basically got in lens we've probably got what six seven people
0: there's six six, seven years yeah yeah
1: so and we've got four people and one in training right now is let well qualified yeah, and the new starts will be in the, time they will go through that. And yeah, and yet. you've got a lot of agencies out there that have one and then that's it. So what does that tell you about the standard of what's been adhered to in terms of legislation, in terms of the requirements required of the people actually administering? So I think it's one that most people, if they've got a latent agent, should ask the latent agent today and send yeah. them an email and just go type away on your email and just go, I'm just I'm just concerned, you know, I'm just asking. I'm just asking how many people are let well qualified, or property mark qualified um, for for letting in Scotland as approved by the Scottish Government, um, in your company, and how many employees do you have in total in your company, and then you'll then you'll get a real good feel for what's actually going on and what what sort of standard of education yeah. um, these people dealing on your behalf have. That's quite an important one for me personally, especially if somebody's a minister what is one of your biggest tax-free assets and investments outside of your home.
0: Yeah. It's it's, it's paramount. And you and I, Jim, and several other members of the staff, we were part of the first group um, in Scotland to do it in 2017.
1: This is why most landlords, you know, you do get landlords coming to us and going, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? That's no right. And the rest of it. It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's the legislation. We're protecting your interests. We're making sure you adhere to the legislation because at the end of the day, when it comes down to the brass tax if there's anyone to blame it's always the landlord it's never the letting agent with the government it always falls back on the landlord's responsibility look at gas safe certificates for example gas safe certificates if if it's it's i don't think it's ever happened for a private landlord where somebody's actually died in a tenancy because of gas safe or carbon monoxide it has for social housing i do know that but i've never heard it from a private landlord and um, that happening so what happens in this instance, if that happened, God forbid, it, it won't happen, I don't yeah. think. Touch wood. Hopefully, touch wood. Um, if that did happen, the letting agent doesn't become liable, it falls back to the landlord being liable, and the landlord could get end up in, in jail as corporate manslaughter, because it's a criminal conviction.
0: Yeah, I've had instances in the past where we're chasing to get the the. Um, sometimes landlords like to do their own gas sales things, but we don't have a copy of it. and a co- and if I don't have a copy and it's not on my system, then to me there's not a gas Certainly not a gas And at at all, in some instances, says, we've got to a point, and I've just got a contractor to do it, and I get and and then they come back and like, what are you doing? And it's like I'm doing it in your best interest. So this is this is what needs to be done. So, right, um, I, I think, think you've got an ancient to let them do it. it.
1: And they've not even done it, and they've just basically bullshit. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. No, well, you said it. I did not say that.
1: Aye. <laughs> right, well, as far as I'm concerned, that's my experience, yes. and and that's why I say we're just going ahead and doing it regardless because you've no sooner sight of the of the the actual the gas safe certificate
0: yeah, so we can't what see what
1: to do. it we have to assume it's not been done so we're doing yeah. it
0: yeah and, and ultimately that's what the employers to do on their behalf so i'm going to do it but anyway yeah stay on top of um incoming and any late late payments and things collect phone numbers like i said for each tenant so you've got that contact um for them whenever you need to obviously chase them up for whatever reason or speak to them about late rent or uh, that uh, nom- nominated con- contact person is away, maybe they're on holiday, you need to have alternative contacts. As with all tenancies, being organised, uh, mm-hmm. communicating mm-hmm. clearly and keeping on top of maintenance and repairs creates a positive, positive rental experience for everyone, the landlord, the tenant and the agent and yeah. where tenants yeah. take better care of the property and they'll, they'll ultimately stay for longer. Yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. Well, just
1: to say again, um, we'll take all questions, all comments at the end. We're quite happy yep. to go through all them. So if you're, if you're commenting, you're questioning and all the rest of it, we will cover that at the end. We'll all go through things. Uh, and we're we're nearly there, actually. And yeah. Um, yeah. we've just got our last bit to talk about, which is, this is my one, replacing sharers yeah. on the same tenancy. <laughs> How yeah. do we go about do that? I mean, in an ideal world, no sharer would ever move out in the middle of a tenancy in an ideal world. But in the reality in life is people move out in all sort in all sorts of directions. So expect a few move ins and move outs along the way of the tenancy and use the following pointers. This is the one that you're going to talk about, Richard. Yeah. are the following pointers to make those transitions as smooth as possible?
0: So I mean in most cases sometimes you'll find that tenants will find a replacement themselves and that's good um, as long as obviously you make sure that they're, they're viable and reference and things and then they hand them over to you as the agent and, and do the reference so make sure that's done right and that does happen quite a lot and a lot of the time because they'll they'll obviously preempt it before you maybe you even know that the person's going to leave so they'll start speaking to friends and whatever and as long as the reference up and it all, it all works out then great. If a new sharer passes reference and checks, um, then you obviously need to incorporate their name into the agreement and things. And the ongoing tenant, um, the the tenant for ongoing that's moved out is removed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, if the reference is unsatisfactory, the outgoing tenant stays on the agreement until a replacement is found. Even if they've moved out, they need to stay on the agreement. Now, that's really important. And we've had that in the past, Jim.
1: Now, yeah. this is this is where this is where the, the legislation is quite clear on this. Because
0: mm-hmm.
1: you do get tenants that will move out, you know, halfway between that or or unexpectedly. And the legislation is quite sh- clear on the on the sharers that they're still liable for it, even though they've moved okay. out because they're joint and severally liable, as existing the other person's liable as well, that accepted them in the first place. So it's more important for people that are sharing as tenants to make sure you get the right person you're sharing with and you know they're credit worthy as well. So as a tenant, you should be protecting yourself and making sure you get the right person and not just any warm body in the street in order to fill that room so you don't have the liability because you could be putting yourself at risk as well. So that's why it's so important that we protect the tenant's rights for the one that's staying in there right now, as well as by referencing the, the new person coming in, even though that's the person they're introducing because it's it's them their interest at heart. Now, you, as, as the tenant, and I'll speak to tenants here, as a tenant, you don't know what you don't know again. And okay. you don't get access to their data because it's data protection. It's not up to you to get, you don't get that access. Whereas as the letting agent, we can reference because we've been given that permission from the incoming tenant, potentially, we've been given that permission, so we can reference them, but we can't tell you why we, awesome. might, not, why we might not accept them and why they might not be satisfactory for the tenancy you just have to trust us, it's making the right decision for your benefit, not for the not primarily for the landlord. It's your benefit as well, mm-hmm. as the tenant is actually staying there to make sure you're safeguarded against any liability it could come along with this other person moving in that you might be you might be liable
0: for. Yeah. Definitely. And I think coming back to the keeping the person that, that's outgoing on the tenancy, even if they've moved out until you find a replacement, we, we've had that. And even like couples who are who split up and one moves out and it, yeah. they just expect it automatically be taking off the agreement. And we've had that come back to us and I don't live there anymore. I shouldn't be on the tenancy agreement. But you entered into the legal agreement at the beginning. And unless we could find pe- pe- <sighs> effectively
1: you're, you're becoming a garmentor. Yes. In in some sorts that you're you're there and you still be so reliable under the here. tenancy, even though you've left the property.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So they're all really important things to to be aware of. And to ensure uh, that new sharers coming in they they need to be made aware how to look after the property and how it should be returned so mm-hmm. they need to also sign the inventory that was have prepared at the beginning of the, the, the original tenancy they need to agree to that as well yeah so they need to have a, re- a review of that and sign it as well okay. that, and, at, and at that point if it's if there's uh, discrepancies about how the property is and how the inventory is then that gives you an opportunity to then review things again yeah Um so by ensuring that everyone who lives in the property goes through the same referencing process signs the same tenancy agreement and the same inventory you avoid complications later in the event of any disputes or possible damages in the property yeah
1: i'd be, I'd be <laughs> interested to hear other people's <sighs> thoughts are you know if you're, if you're watching this just now and you are a landlord that does hmo or you're sh- or you do shared accommodation in other words it's not an hmo but it's just two unrelated people in the same house um how 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 it works for you if you think there's any because to me personally just me personally i think it's a it, it's an additional it's an additional work you need to do. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. You may, you may make a wee bit a higher return because two sharers will make will make you more money than actually um a, a you know a person in their own right. So mm-hmm. sharers will generally be about well, for example, what is the single room rent just now under local housing allowance? The single room rent is three seven three. Okay, no, no, that's no the single room rate. Single room. All oh, right, rate.
0: sorry, the single room rate is yeah. a two. Is it no two six four?
1: Right, sorry. So single room rate calculator. Uh, single room rate is two six four times two equals uh, five two eight. Um, and generally, a two bedroom would be about four fifty to four nine five. Yeah. Um, so you're just you're making another thirty, maybe fifty pounds or something like that a month in order to accommodate for that that extra you might have to do to run two tenancies under the same single unit. I'm not really. I'm not really sure if it's an effective use of time um, for that that kind of return, and I, and I hate to put it down to return, but if you've got a limited amount of hours in the day, and you've got a, a, a market which which will allow two people, um, well, which will which will be quite buoyant just now, so there's there's huge demand, there's undersupply, um, so you kind of you can you can kind of cherry pick, can't you? you know, to get the right tenants into the property. And it could just be a, a, a single tenant on their own who has a family um and it's a two-bedroom and it would rent for four nine five. So the differential, you know, you, you could potentially get in that. Isn't it really that great? Student accommodation is completely different. You know, if you're up in St Andrews, often, sometimes, you'll be paying £800 just for a, a room.
0: And, Apologies, Jim. The local housing allowance for the shared room rate is £70.19 and a week, which works out at £304
1: a month. So £304, so you're £600 versus 495 So that might make it economically beneficial. But then you've got, to, you've got the thing about if somebody moves out, do you really want to have that hassle of trying to get another person in? And then you've got to try and get money out of another person, especially if you've got two people on universal credit. And I'll talk to the people on universal credit. If you've got two people on universal credit, the other one's not going to be and several liable, really, because <laughs> they're only getting they're only getting three hundred pound towards the rent every month, and they're nobody going to go, they bail, bail the other person's rent out because they're they're what we call under law, and the solicitors call them as a, as a as a man of straw. That was the old term. In other words, they've got nothing. They've got no assets. Got no, you know, got mostly liabilities. More than likely, because they are where they are right now, uh, and to put an extra burden on me and saying, by the way, you've got another three hundred pound to pay a month, and it's like, well. Oh, I I I can't pay that. What am I going to do? And then you put that person under pressure. When so do you really want to start down that road in the first place in order to do that? Um it's different when it comes to the other end of the market, which is the professionals and the, the student accommodation, because they're underwritten usually by banker mum and dad, more than likely. And that makes it a lot more easier to, to, to work with that. So it's so I, I hate to say it, but there is there is different markets that you'll deal in. And they have they have their different challenges, you know.
0: Jim, you've got uh, your potential new purchases. Uh, you've got one or possibly two instances where you've got sharers in place, yeah. and it's causing you. It's causing you a few issues, uh, issues, and it's actually made, making you maybe doubt whether it's the right situation well, uh, you want to take on.
1: Uh, well, I'm doing internal control, and I'm doing internal control on this. And you know, the the, the thing that's come up is it's it's a girl. It's been sharing the room in a in a property for, you know for the best part of five years and then two years into her tenancy then a guy moved in and he shares another room and I'm thinking a girl and a guy sharing in the same house that almost sounds like a relationship and under universal credit rules if you you don't get single room rents if you've got a, if you've got a relationship you get you get what is effectively a, a one bedroom rate so in my mind, that is potentially that could be a case that um they're actually defrauding the government.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So yes, that's, that's why I, to watch out. That's there. why my due diligence is, you know, you've got to have it. You, you just don't get that if if the if the partner moves in and they try the, the and, and I've seen landlords fall foul of it, but the partner moves in and says, Oh, I'll just claim a single room rent as well. And it's like, no, 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 no. They're living as a couple. They were only they're only entitled to a, a one bedroom rate now, which is which is 375 three seven five or something seven, like that. Three seven three. Aye. And, and yet you're actually got them both claiming single room rent, which is not correct under the legislation, and is potentially defrauding the government if they know about it, if they know what's happening. So that's why I've never been a fan of it, and um, because it's come up in the past, and I, I I've 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 fallen foul of it in the past. Because because in the early days I didn't know that part of legislation, so I learned a lot from these regulations and learning learning the hard way, you know it's like, like I had no idea that was the rules and that's that was the case under the legislation. And then when I read up on it, I realised that yeah, is it's, it's uh, the, you, you can't do that under the, under the legislation it's, itself.
0: I was just about to say that there's. I was about to say there's grey areas, but there's not grey areas. It's all oh, set it's out. Quite, it's quite there and you just need work. to. You just need to know what you're doing. If you're considering renting to sharers, or maybe you've got possible sharing set, set up and you're not too sure of the rules. i have got something that do. Don't <laughs> do have But I put my I put my direct contact number. I have put my direct email in the in the attached blog. Feel free to, obviously, touch base if you're unsure. Um, yeah, we're there, we're, there. we're there
1: for a bit of advice and a bit of help yes. if you ever need it. It's, yes. uh, you know, it's... it's there are clear rules around it. You, you, you definitely don't know what you don't know. I think that's yes. the more important thing. And it's our job to help you understand that. Well, it's not really our job, to be honest. But I feel, I've, I've always felt a moral obligation and a, a, and an obligation to educate landlords more and more from the very beginning, in, in 1999, when we set up the Fife Landlords Association, in 1999, mm-hmm. I felt that I had to set it up. And I've got 20 landlords around the table at the London Lynch Hotel, which is now yeah. in, in place yes. of the floor. Leveled. I've got 20 <laughs> big landlords around the table, and it says, we need to set up an organization to protect our interests, but more importantly, to educate people um, in this market to raise their standards, raise their game, and understand when they're renting, this is what they should be doing, and educate them. And that's why five landlords came about in the beginning. Now that, that's 20, 24 years ago or thereabouts. So 24 years ago, I sat in that room on a Thursday night possibly and, yeah. and actually discussed it with some of these bigger, bigger landlords. And we we then started to move forward and we had a lot of good dialogue with the local authority, which were absolutely fantastic. Everybody used to everybody used to castigate them and vilify them. And I'm like you're having a laugh. They're doing everything behind the scenes. I just wouldn't stand for it. I wouldn't let people do that to them and castigate them for that reason, because I knew yeah. the work they were doing in the background to make sure everything was done for us on time and make sure we worked together in harmony. That's kind of gone now. And that the reason that that's gone is because they've moved everything on to the UK government to administer. And that, that relationship is actually lost to now. And that's what I, that's what we missed about this. Because every landlord association locally had a good relationship with a local authority. And, and now that kind of doesn't exist because it's all fallen by the wayside.
0: I do still take part in the landlord forum with Fife Council myself. Yeah. And there's other agents and a few reputable but landlords. De- to a degree, things. it's because they're forced under the legislation yeah. to, be,
1: to open dialogue with all types of tenure. They're forced under the legislation, by the way. So it's not the fact that they want to do it now, whereas they wanted to do it before and they put a lot of time and effort into it, mm-hmm. is the fact that they're forced to have to do these consultations anyway. Um, unlike the Scottish Government, which don't. To do. <laughs> I'm here all week, try <laughs> the fish. It's like because the Scottish Government don't. I'm, I'm just going through it right now. I've just been fobbed off. Here's my response from here's my response from Shona Shona Robson, who's now been another minister, and, and I'll be talking about that during possibly during this week. Um, mm-hmm. About the response, which basically fell on deaf ears. About how much consultation did you do for the cost of Home Living Crisis for the rent since yeah. the moratorium and evictions? How much consultation did you do for the mental health, for uh, the impact of mental health for landlords and especially for tenants out of this yeah. legislation? And how much, how much consultation did you do, and who did you consult for the the proposed the proposed uh, increase in ADS to six percent? Who did you consult? And and uh, and I'm going to tell you in a nutshell, diddly squat. Mm-hmm. And they came back and went, Oh, we consulted 57. All oh, right, 57 landlords. Sorry, 57 landlords in the whole of Scotland. You're telling me you can, for the cost of living Crisis bill, you consulted 57 landlords in the whole of Scotland. You could all have one property. You're telling me you consulted 57 landlords and 57 properties in the whole of Scotland. That's what they, that's what Jenny Gilders and Jonah Robson wrote back. <laughs> <laughs> you're having a laugh. You have no idea what you're doing, Patrick Harvey. God, they're all academics. It's like they have no idea what they're doing in the Scottish government, and even worse, you can see them—they're career politicians. They don't yeah. understand the mental, the—they the, don't understand the mental capacity and the bigger picture thinking of what they, their ramifications of what they're doing right now, and how it impacts on a bigger scale. And I'm trying to tell them, and tell them, and tell them. And it's fallen on deaf ears. And its I'm now going back. See, 10 years ago when I told you about social housing and you should be building it and all this time over the 10 years, and you've done zero. And now you preside over the highest homelessness rate in the whole of Scotland ever. And that's what Patrick Harvey's got around his neck right now, the highest homelessness rate in Scotland. And it'll just keep going up and up and up and up because the legislation he's put in place is just making it worse. Just make it yes, worse. Yes. He if I stop landlords evicting tenants, the tenants will have their houses for their whole life. And if I and if they've got them for their whole life, I could stop them increasing the rents. And the tenants, what do you think a landlord's going to do? I'm going to sell. sell. I'm not yeah. interested anymore. You've just reduced your stock. Yeah. What do you think landlords on the outskirts are watching right now? The people that potentially could invest in this market, it will provide more housing for people it can't afford to buy. It's not a can't afford to buy because they've no got the money. It's can't afford to buy because they are basically no got a job. So the bank won't bankroll them. It's the bank's problem that they can't afford to buy, not ours. It's not the fact that we own the house. It's because of, it's because of the bank won't give them the funding to do it on a mortgage. The banks should be vilified, no private landlords. So we're providing housing, and the people on the outskirts that are thinking about getting into this market are terrified. They've decided not to enter the market as a result. Therefore, you're not attracting any new investment into this market. You've even got the people that are building. The big, huge conglomerates that are building build-to-rent now have stopped in Glasgow. They've stopped building. We're not doing this. It's like your policy is actually ground us to a halt. So there's no more housing for people that need to rent. It need to rent. Not want to rent. It need to rent. They've got a need. They can't do anything else because the government's not built any more affordable or social housing at all. Okay, let's wrap up there. Thanks very much. Um, No, 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 thanks, Doug. A a few remarks. Let's see if we've got anything um, on here. Um, So, Sean James actually says, What do you think about leaseholds?
0: No big fan. It's an English thing. It's more a south of the border thing, to be honest. It's not
1: something that's really practical. And I'll be honest, um, south of the border, there's there's always been an envy to the north of the border where we have freehold. We're freehold forever. predominantly, and leasehold doesn't exist. Leasehold, I'm not keen on it. I think somebody else owns the primary land and everything else, and all you're doing is leasing it. You almost potentially you're a tenant for that ninety nine years. Admittedly, the lease will probably be granted again. But to somebody else to have ownership, and then what happens with leasehold, is the leaseholder sometimes, and I've seen it before happen, is they'll then insist that they do all the repairs and improvements, and they charge an extortionate amount. So they get them, they've got them by the short and curlies, you know, in terms of that. And so that's a that, that's why I'm never keen on leasehold. Uh, Pretty pinked about uh, tattoo. Actually said about i uh, Unhygienic. I'll say that again. Actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, it's people that are unhygienic or even messy and don't let and don't want to let the owners in the property for inspections.
0: Now, I think when you get that reluctance to have uh, to have an inspection carried out, you will find that a lot of the times that's maybe the issue, and that's a. I mean, if they're not going to let you over the door, there's definitely a red flag about why they're not letting you across the door. And if they're not keeping the place yes, the way they should, and they are maybe untidy, unhygienic, things are a lot of the reasons behind that.
1: Uh, this is quite. This is quite. A, uh, don't be nosy. Well, I'm a Parker, so clearly I'm a nosy Parker.
0: As I said, though, Jim. As I said, in <laughs> don't it, be and...
1: nosy. Said no, this is what. Don't be nosy. Said so. I'm a nosy Parker. Tell me something I didn't. Can. everybody used to say that? I used to go. I could think of other things of better, like car park, Parker. No. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and then they used to shut up. It's like, oh, I'll no call you Nosy Parker anymore. Then, anyway, it's a, it's a, it's an old thing if you remember what Nosy Parker. I know what Nosy uh, Parker. Yeah. That person actually says, "I'll never go private landlord again." bulk Well, that's your single experience, and possibly the see. only experience, yeah, their experience. possibly one landlord in the whole of uh, in the whole of the country. Um, so don't let that jade anything else like what Patrick Harvey did. Um, and that's why we've got all this draconian legislation. Be interesting for them idea. to elaborate why. What, why, no, why? You know why? Why? Why do you? Why? Why did you say that then? I'll never go a, go a private landlord again. book. It possibly might have been that it was maybe you was the problem. You know my <laughs> phrase on that, but I'll no say it on
0: here.
1: <laughs> uh, and uh, somebody else says, don't do shared. You know, it's not, the, it's not the best thing to do. It's, you know, not, it's
0: not the right thing for everybody. And if, if you've had maybe a bad experience, then things maybe haven't been put in place, right? You really need to do things properly. Yeah,
1: yeah. and I think I think that comes down to the proper setting up of the tenancy like we, we discussed yeah. in the beginning. Um, I think that's it for, for questions yeah. and, and comments and all the rest of it. I want to talk about the Wealth Creation Show. We're going to be talking about Wealth Creation on... Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that on Monday... 12 o'clock, so this is all about The laws of wealth
0: creation Yeah,
1: the laws of wealth creation This is actually quite uh, good The six laws uh, to successful Wealth creation, we're going to be talking about that Monday at 1230, so you know, tune in For that one, the six laws And include things like creating a roadmap For financial success, spending Mm -hmm. less than you earn You know, that's a given But people Mm -hmm. just don't don't understand How can I spend less than I earn Well, we'll tell you how to do that yeah. Uh, investing your surplus wisely and leaving your investments alone to grow, diversifying in your investments as well. And remember, it's all about educating yourself on wealth creation. Um, and so we're going to be covering that, Richard and I, on 12.30 on Monday, Monday. on the wealth creation so, so join us then. It'll be good. It'll be good. Yeah, it'll, Again. Be good. It'll, be, it'll be it'll be the same format. It'll be the questions. You can ask them all and we'll answer the questions. We might pick up a few of our see them over in TikTok because I've got TikTok running in the background here. If I could see it because I'm my Eyesight's fading a wee bit. <laughs> that's why. I, yeah. That's why I have to keep going over. And, and, and the important you thing is, see me at the, right the, the camera doing this. The important thing is, it's live, and we we
0: like to keep it interactive. So.
1: I love live. I love live because it's in the heat of the moment. It's it keeps the whole thing going. It keeps the energy up as well. Yes. Um. So that's the reason that I love live. I, I don't do the pre-recorded thing. I think it's just it doesn't. It doesn't give you the answer you want at the time because it gives you time to think about what you want to say yeah. beforehand. And I think off the cuff and live yeah. is so, so much better. Definitely. Okay. And that's okay. us. Thanks very much for coming on. You're gonna yep. end the broadcast on the Facebook channels and I'm on um Instagram and TikTok. Bye bye for now, guys. Bye guys.